0: Welcome to TalkErie.com's Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast. Every day, we tackle the biggest issues that the Erie PA region faces. Stay informed and involved as we advance the narrative of Erie. Now, here's Joel Natale.
1: It is a pleasure of mine to have with us the state senator from the 49th District, Senator Dan Laughlin, with us via Zoom. Uh, senator Laughlin, great to see you, sir.
0: Well, it's always great to be on your show, Joel, and uh, I know we have uh, quite a bit to cover. Uh, <clears throat> I've been getting over this cold that you and I had talked about before we came on the air here, uh, so I'm a little bit hoarse, but I'll do the best I can.
1: Yeah, we, we, there just seems to be a, a, just a ravaging of <clears throat> respiratory illness going around our community right now uh and uh, it's just we just kind of grind through it hey i wanted i want to pick up on my conversation yesterday uh with the redevelopment authority of Erie County um again they're they're trying to rebuild the redevelopment the the economic development infrastructure uh you know which basically went bankrupt 10 years ago that that doesn't exist anymore but we were left with basically nothing to offer site selectors, and they're trying to rebuild that foundation. And the, right. the, core, the keystone of that is the Erie Malleable, the EMI building, uh, there on the west side of Cherry on 12th Street. You're a contractor. You know about these things. When you toured that building and when you consider that building for your support at the state level for uh, RACP funding and so on, what goes through your mind? What do you think in there?
0: Well, a few things, Joel. Um, you know, obviously, the 12th Street corridor needs quite a bit of work to, to be, you know, rebuilt, uh, at least by today's standards, right? Uh, and quite frankly, as you would mentioned, uh, as a contractor for 35 years, uh, although mostly residential, uh, you know, when you when you evaluate a project, you know, whether you when you look at a, like an older home, for example, that uh, maybe somebody wanted to restore uh, or whether it'd be a better option, you know, financially to tear it down and start from scratch. Uh, You know, there's a lot of variables that go into that. Uh, uh, You know, the overall project cost obviously is uh, one of the big considerations, uh, but also whether you can reproduce the work. Uh, And quite frankly, when I toured EMI's building, I, I think, I think that they're kind of on the right path there. They're going to get rid of a fair amount of it. It's just not salvageable. Uh, and the portion that they are saving has some absolutely beautiful ironwork in it that you, you really couldn't pre- reproduce today. I mean, potentially you could, but the cost would be cost pro- prohibitive to do that. Uh, so I think the the mix is right. I, I know the county executive disagrees with me a little bit on that, which is fine. Disagreement's healthy. Um, and, you know, we need to get these properties back into productive use. It,
1: it, it's a huge project. I, mm-hmm. I was, I really wasn't able to ever even wrap my arms around uh, or get them to commit what what exactly we're talking here. Do you have any sense for how much you know uh, what completion would look like in well, dollars? I've seen
0: the, uh, you know, I've seen the renderings. Uh, <clears throat> I and I've you know i'd hate for you to quote me here but (laughs) yeah uh just going from memory uh you know it's probably going to be you know the total site is probably going to be in the 30 million dollar range but the first phase is is more going to be in you know the 12 10 12 million dollar range to get the first portion of that done and uh back into use uh and quite frankly I think that's uh, I think that's money well spent because it it will pay dividends in the long run. It's like it's like a savings account.
1: Yeah. 30, 30 million actually doesn't surprise. That actually seems low to me because uh, I'm I'm looking at this building that they're building from scratch across the street here at Fifth and State. And I'm sure that that's a thirty five, forty million dollar building. And, and yeah. you know, well, and, I did tell you ahead. not to quote. Me yeah, that. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. No, I mean, <laughs> it, you know, it, it, it's remarkable because and maybe maybe it's that scarcity mentality that we kind of grew up here in Erie. But uh, I mean, big things when you're trying to do big things. And, and let's look at this from the 30,000 foot view. We have to have, you know, so many hundreds of thousands of square feet available for site selectors, for, for light industry, for, uh, I mean, I don't think we're going to get into foundries ever again, but it, we have to have that ability and we have to have the utilities on track. We have to have the broadband on track. Uh, i I mean, I think, I think about what, you know, is, is 12 street, is twelfth street going to need a, a retrofit for electric, you know, for, uh, all of the all the basics for sewer and water and so on. Uh,
0: I, I would imagine. I would imagine, Joel. Yeah. And, you know, it's. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of an analogy here, right? If if you were a farmer and you're looking at a field to plant, you know, your crops in, if you've got a foot of topsoil there, and then you look across the street and the other the other field's nothing but uh, basically a gravel pit, you're going to plant your crops on the, on the foot of topsoil. And that's what we need to, to do as as a, as an economic entity in, in our region is to make it look more like we've got that foot of topsoil. So people will wanna come here and plant their business and grow it here. We need that's that's the role of government is to make it attractive for the businesses to come.
1: So you talked to a lot of other senators mm-hmm. across the state. Is Erie starting to kind of hold its own i i know we're not gonna be pittsburgh or philly but when you talk about other third class cities in in metropolitan areas do we still have some ways to go or are we starting to catch up
0: well obviously we have a ways to go uh joel uh i you know one of the things that we uh are are kind of uh, shortchanged on here is just the sheer economic development dollars and i think don't worry i'm not going there yet yeah. uh, uh, but <laughs> yeah. but uh quite frankly you know when when you're trying to to reach out across you know across the country uh regionally for sure and it, and even internationally to try and attract uh businesses to to locate here you know what what do we have to offer other than water really right so we have to we have to put some effort in to having space available that's that's basically shovel ready uh you have to have the utilities in there uh that are functional for if a company says you know i am willing to build there because you maybe because you do have the water I need, but you know i also need you know five megawatts of power every day and 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 i'm gonna need sewer and and we have to have those things ready to go you can't tell them it's going to be a five-year timeline my god in a business cycle that's an eternity yeah. So, yeah. So we we need to be doing, uh, quite frankly, a lot more uh, of prepping Erie to be ready for development. And then we need to market ourselves uh, out into the world that, you know, we're not only ready, but we're business friendly.
1: So, so you would say that Pennsylvania in general Is falling down on this aspect of it. We're not a Michigan, we're not a North Carolina where there's a lot of dollars that seem to be into business development.
0: You're absolutely spot on there, Joel. And and I would add a a further thing. You know, the amount of regulations that Pennsylvania has uh, are onerous as well. You know, uh, we only need to look down towards Allegheny County, and we saw that US Steel was willing to put a billion and a half dollar. Plant down there, and they basically got run out of the state because they couldn't get a simple air quality permit. Wow, and that you know, I, I'm really upset about that. Even now, even though it's not in my district, it would have been great for Pennsylvania. Thousands of jobs.
1: Oh, there would be a spill off up here that could have affected us uh, for sure. It, it do you do you sense that, given where the politics are going right now at the state level? That this is gonna change. That all of a sudden, and, and I've had pushback when I say that you're, that Pennsylvania doesn't seem to be very business friendly. I'll, I'll, I'll get pushback, you know, from the folks, you know, like from the DC DCED saying, "Of course, we're we're business friendly." But this is this is a like you say, it's a global competition. We're not only competing with North Carolina, but we're we're competing with Norway. You know, yeah,
0: hundred percent, Joe. You know the the joke in Pennsylvania, uh, if you will, not that it's funny, uh, but the DEP stands for Don't Expect Permits. Uh, You know we we (laughs) we need to change we need to change that mindset, and we need to change it rather quickly. I might add.
1: Incredible. All right, I've got a a couple more minutes. We got to take a break, but uh, I do I do want you to kind of put your political hat on and weigh in. We're we're almost four weeks. Just a little over four weeks away from this election. uh, You were considering a very, very serious consideration of the governor's race, uh, of of putting your hat in for the Republican governor's nomination. Um, Where are you supporting the Republican candidate for governor? Senator Laughlin.
0: Yeah, uh, obviously I am. Joel, this is a uh, you know, this is what you do when you're in politics. You know, a lot of my policy positions uh, vary, you know, quite frankly, pretty widely from, from uh, Senator Mastriano's. Um, and, the, and the thing that I would tell people is that, you know, quite frankly, um, you, you know, as governor, he can only sign laws that the legislature sends it. So, you know, I know that he's been painted, uh, you know, fairly effectively by Josh Shapiro this this, this right wing guy. Uh, but I've worked with him for three years. I know he's deeply religious. Uh, I know he feels very strongly about, you know, the, the pro-life issues. Uh, but I have not seen the side of him that Josh Shapiro is trying to paint paint him uh, as.
1: Why do you think he's been let uh, left to kind of, you know, wither out there with no money from the National Governors Association? Again, you kind of know about these networks of, of cash, either you're on their list or you're not. And he doesn't seem to be on anybody's list.
0: Well, you know, I, I can't speak to that, at least not accurately, Joel, because I don't know what goes on behind the scenes in some of these campaigns. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I will tell you that most most of the bigger money people uh, in, in any race, not just this race, in any race, they, they try and look to see, where their money will be best spent and i don't know if he met that mark from these folks
1: yeah i I, i'm I'm, this is just my editorial comment i feel like you got more support for your state senate race a couple years back than what he's from national concerns than what he's getting from national concerns although supposedly he put a, a, a million dollar package together he's running some tv soon so we'll we'll see how that goes uh let's go to the senate side now this this has got the eyes of the entire country on it. it yeah. You know, you've got, the uh, uh, Lieutenant Governor Fetterman on the democratic side, you got Dr. Oz on the Republican side. You've spent some time with Dr. Oz here in town, haven't you?
0: A l- little bit, Joel. And, uh, you know, I've gotten to talk to him. Um, I find to be, uh, a very personable and engaging person that uh, has a pretty strong, uh, mastery of the top topics. And, uh, and quite frankly, I, I think he's—I think he's fairly middle of the road. If if you sat down and just had a beer with him and talked to him, and and actually went over you know the finer points of his policy positions, and uh, so I, I think that you know if he's fortunate enough to win, uh, I think we'll have a a, a kind of Toomey-esque reasonable senator. And uh, you know, and, and on a flip side of that. John Fetterman, it's kind of a it's kind of a weird position for me to be in. You know, I've worked with him for four years now. I kind of like the guy, as you know, just personally. Uh, we obviously share a few policy positions that uh, that we agree on, but I, you know, I can tell you that I don't want him anywhere near that U.S. Senate seat because his he he is absolutely farther left than Bernie Sanders, and you know, I think it would be quite frankly bad for America if he wins. Wow.
1: Wow. The, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's okay to like a person and just be, di- you know, diametrically opposed to. Oh, his. Uh, his other, go ahead.
0: <laughs> look, I have other friends in the Senate that I feel that way about. Yeah. I, you know, that they're good people. I like them, uh, but I absolutely disagree with their policy. And, and John Fetterman is one of those people. He's pretty, you know, he's a nice enough guy. You know, if you live next door to them, you'd probably have a beer and a, and a picnic with them every summer, but it doesn't mean you want them running your country. And, uh, you know, we, we can talk a little more about that if you, if you like, I don't want to burn up all your airtime. Right, yeah. Well, it, but, you know, well,
1: are you, are you surprised at how much attention nationally is on this race? Cause they feel like maybe this is the one that they can flip. It's been in Toomey's hands for quite a while. Um, I'm I am i am not sure it's going to flip. Go ahead.
0: Well, I, I'm not surprised at all that this is a, a, a one of the most focused on races in the country, Joel. Uh, you know, we're kind of a purple state. It's a battleground state, and 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 it's it's an interesting race to watch as well if if you're into politics because you've got just complete, two two completely different characters running running for this seat right now. You know, you have a TV personality like Dr. Oz. And then you've got Fetterman who, you know, uh, I I don't want to pick on him for the way he dresses, but, you know, he's not your stereotypical person running for office. Right. Right.
1: He's one of a kind. Yeah. Yeah. I know that, you
0: know, I know that he has some appeal uh, with that as well. Uh, But quite frankly, you know, I'm not sure how he would be viewed on the world stage uh, when you're representing the United States as one of, you know, arguably the 50, one of the 50 most powerful people in our country. And I, it'd be tough for me to picture world leaders taking him seriously.
1: Yeah. I think, yeah. Picture, picture e- either one of these uh, gentlemen on the Senate foreign relations committee or the Senate judiciary committee or, or so on uh, c- right. commerce committee. I, I mean, it's, it. I mean, these are weighty, weighty roles and, uh, yeah. And here's the thing about Oz that everybody forgets: he's a cardiovascular surgeon who's at the top was at the, has been at the top of his game. He's no dummy.
0: Oh, absolutely not. And you know when you when you get to know him a little bit, listen to his his family story and how his father came here and and he put you know basically uh, put Doctor Oz through uh, our university system here, and then he went on. You know you can't accomplish all that in life. Uh, by sheer luck. There's a, there's a lot of intelligence to go behind that and a lot of effort too, I might add. And while we're on the topic of effort, uh, you know, even though uh, I find John Fetterman to be, you know, a pleasant chap, uh, I, when I said that I've worked with him for the last four years, I can tell you for a fact that he barely shows up for work. And I'm not sure what, what that is about, but as, as someone who's worked 60 hours a week for most of my life, You know, I show up for work and and to me, that means a lot.
1: Senator Dan Laughlin from the 49th District here in Pennsylvania is with us here. And uh, I've only got about four minutes, so I'm going to I'm going to hold off on uh, the marijuana topic. But I want to talk about basic ed. You were there last week when the Erie School District was released from Financial Watch. Uh, Literally, there was emotions uh, that were flying through that room because it's been a heck of a six years. What are your thoughts, Senator Laughlin?
0: Well, uh, for those that might not remember, Joel, when I ran in 2016, one of the the reasons that I ran was uh, the issues with the Erie School District. Uh, It's a district that I went through, uh, through ninth grade before we moved out to Waterford. uh, And it's obviously one of those things where if you don't, if you don't have a functioning school district uh, in a city like Erie, you know, your property values are going to plummet. Uh, the Kids aren't going to get a, a, a decent education and you know, everything really starts to unravel. And we were seeing that and I felt very strongly about it. Um, and it's one of the, one of the issues that I ran on. And I have to tell you, when I got to the Senate, uh, I made everybody in that entire building uh understand how important it was to me uh, to get the you know uh, the funding for the erie school district and at the time you know when i had been meeting with dr Badams and uh brian palito who was the finance guy at the time you know they told me that they needed 10 million dollars to uh basically to keep the schools open and uh you know, as an old negotiator, I can tell you that I didn't go in and tell everybody I needed 10 million because I figured I'd get seven or five. Right. right. Yes. So I went around that building and I told everybody that I needed 20 million. <laughs> wow. And, uh, and, and, and it was to the point where literally if, if I walked into a room or a meeting or anything, it, it started to become a joke. Let me guess. Dan Laughlin needs money for the Erie school district. That's how much of a pest I was. Uh, and then when they came through with the fourteen million uh, of one-time funding on, on, in twenty seventeen, obviously I was thrilled. It was a little bit more than I had hoped for, even. Uh, but it, I felt that it was also more appropriate anyway. Mm-hmm. And then, <clears throat> and then the following year, uh, we got it codified into uh, to annual funding. And uh, quite frankly, uh, it's one of my biggest uh, political and proudest moments uh, of, of really you know, bailing out the school district. And at the time, I, I think even till even now uh, it was the largest uh, per student funding increase in the history of Pennsylvania.
1: Wow. And, and, you know, and there was a, there's a lot this year that seems to be going to the schools and I've got just about a minute, but um, is, is a lot of this money like leftover cares act money? Cause the governor is also touting that the rainy day fund is as full as it's ever been. Um, right. where's all this money coming from? Is this tax receipts? What is it?
0: Uh, a lot of it was ARP money, Joel. Uh, you know, the school district got a boatload, uh, out of that, to, you know, for renovations and, and heating and cooling and things like that, uh, which obviously helped uh, the bottom line overall. Um, and then, you know, our, our tax receipts have been uh, pretty strong uh, the last 14, 15 months. Uh, you know, and some of that obviously is government stimulus money coming home to roost. sure uh, That's also part of the inflation cycle. Uh, I do find it amusing when I see uh, the governor's Twitter account. And he's bragging about the rainy day fund because he fought his tooth and nail to spend every penny of it. And the, and the Republicans forced him to put it in the bank.
1: Right, so, but, so but, he's know, gonna take just, credit on that's either politics.
0: Yes, that's <laughs> politics. I get it. You know, I I just laugh when I see it.
1: That's all. We've got Senator Dan Laughlin. He is the uh, senator from the 49th district, which encompasses is it all of uh, all of Erie County now, or a little bit of Corey no. still with Michelle, right?
0: The uh, the only chunk that I didn't get in the redistricting, Joel, was Corey Right. Uh, quite frankly i'm a little bit mad about that because it, it fell within all the uh you know the good government guidelines that they set out about keeping communities of interest together and everything else and then at the last minute they
1: took it, they oh, took it back to me. right crazy stuff well she's she's up for re-election uh and uh you know i'm, I'm sure she won't have much problem it's the uh the we we've got some good races at at this you know at the district level for the state house uh probably the i don't i mean it's hard it's hard to beat an incumbent let's just say that right so i'm not sure that mursky and bizarro uh and roy are are really uh in jeopardy here but uh you have an open seat with um with uh oliver versus uh, uh jake banta yeah so yeah, I mean it'll it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, although that I would imagine that that district is very um, is very red. I, I would think down there.
0: It, it it is. I mean you never. I mean you never never say never. Obviously, right? And you got to put some effort in. Uh, but it's yeah, it's that's considered a fairly safe Republican seat.
1: Well, it's kind it, that one's kind of gerrymandered because it's this big U around. The more the more metropolitan districts is really interesting. I, I I kind of feel sad because both of us grew up in the city, and it used to be that the city had two of their own assembly people, assemblymen, and and so it was what Bellamini on on the uh, on the west side and Dombrowski on the east side. You always had a usually an yeah. Italian and a Polish uh, is is how it would come down. And now the city's been so watered down as far as now basically, one district almost covers the entire thing, which, which yeah. is kind of a sad thing. Well, you know, you know
0: when when you, when you shrink from one hundred thirty thousand down to about ninety, uh, that's how it goes.
1: That's exactly right. Well, again, uh, the legislative agenda is important, and uh, uh, you've seen some of your bills go through. I, I have you wrapped up uh, Sunday hunting. Pretty, I mean, is that a done deal now or?
0: Uh, no, we're gonna have to take another pass at that next year. Okay. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, we got three days done a couple of years ago, uh, and you know the sky didn't fall for all the all the people out there that that thought it would, and uh, and obviously uh, from the license sale increases, it obviously was helpful in that respect too, because uh, prior to that. You know we've been losing uh, just our sheer hunter numbers uh, ever since about 19 i think 85 or something they declined a percent or two each year wow. uh, that was the first time uh, in what 35 years or whatever that uh, we actually started to see an increase in hunter licensed sales
1: so so, so uh, th- there there may be new interests if there's more access uh, and another legislative uh, priority has been this uh, move to recreational weed. A lot of people um, question you on this, uh, even uh, pretty, uh, pretty uh, stridently. Uh, talk about some of the conversations that you're having with constituents and where that all is at. It's, it's been a while since we talked about that.
0: Yeah. You know, obviously, Joel, you uh, uh, you know, as a Republican being a sponsor of a bill like this, I knew that I would take at least a little bit of flack over it. Uh, but from my standpoint, and, and, you know, my oldest son had had an issue with marijuana. Uh, we had trouble getting him through high school because of it. And, you know, I've talked to him about this. He doesn't mind me talking about it on, on, on air like this. Uh, you know, cannabis was completely illegal when he was in high school. Uh, he had absolutely zero problem getting it. Uh, and one of the conversations that I had with him uh, that kind of prompted me to be the sponsor of this bill is he said, dad, it's so easy to get weed. I could shoot a text out and have a bag delivered to the house here in probably 15 minutes. And he said, you know, it's better service than Amazon. Yeah. And, and and at that point I realized, you know, we've lost any, any battle that, that there ever was in this space. Uh, Pennsylvania legalized it medically in 2015. So for 200 bucks, it's already legal uh, if you're willing to get the card and uh, you can walk into any dispensary in Pennsylvania and buy, you know, a variety of products. Uh, and also, uh, if any you know, people that are listening that might not love this bill, I get that. Uh, but talk to talk to the people that you know that are 30 and under and just ask them flat out. Uh, you know, is it difficult to buy uh, really any cannabis product? And, and they will almost universally tell you it's not an issue at all. Uh, is, so it is it
1: decriminalized is it a summary offense at this point if you're caught with uh with a certain level under a certain um, number of ounces or something like that
0: yeah it, it you know it's basically
1: uh a parking uh, ticket or uh, a, a, a you know.
0: well it depends on where you're at joel okay. obviously but, but you know quite frankly uh, uh you know at at this point uh you have the governor's office running the his pardon program that was mm-hmm. for the whole month of September, as you mm-hmm. recall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the ironic thing about it is, is there were people still getting arrested during the same month that they were doing pardons. Right. It's, we're, we're, at, we're at this tipping point where it's just it's stupid anymore. Uh, we should regulate it. Uh, make sure it's not laced with fentanyl because it comes from a regulated source. Uh, tax it and it's time to move on. Uh, you know, you can't you can't argue with me that you know, by not doing this, that it's preventing anyone in Pennsylvania from smoking marijuana.
1: Hmm. The, so, and, and you, you see significant tax, um, you know, tax revenues coming from this. Uh, like, like we've talked before, it is unseeming to that. The state seems to win on tax revenues when people do things that are not necessarily good for themselves, so whether it's gambling, the lottery, and you know marijuana, it's like, you know, it's just like wow, uh, uh, yeah. And certainly the state stores, the the whole liquor control board, and so on. Thoughts on that? Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, look, you know, a lot of people don't know uh, when they go to the state store and they you know buy a bottle of wine or you know, a vodka or something, and they see the, the sales slip and it's, you know, at the end of it, there's a 6% sales tax. And what they're not seeing is the 18% Johnstown flood tax on there that was implemented know, 100 years ago or something. Uh, so yeah, we tax the living crap out of alcohol. Uh, and quite frankly, if we legalize recreational marijuana, we're gonna tax the crap out of it.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, you know, I, I kind of disagree with that, that concept, they think I think everything in Pennsylvania should be at the same tax rate. I think, you know, it, it's not really up to the government to to decide our own morality, uh, but you know that's how the that's how the game is played, I guess. Uh, and then, you know, just from the uh, the economic standpoint, uh, by legalizing this for adult use, uh, it would create probably, I think, the, the estimates that I've heard somewhere around 50,000 jobs. Uh, and generate within a year or two a uh, billion dollars a year in tax revenue. And that's certainly revenue that we can use, you know, to prevent, you know, property tax increases or, or whatever tax increase that we might need to, to fund social services and things like that. So uh, to continue to ignore the problem, if you will, uh, and and let the black market continue to thrive in Pennsylvania, I think is is, is irresponsible.
1: Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you if you would have a, a partner bill with this that would increase funding and or, uh, you know, actual programming uh, for, you know, for substance abuse.
0: Well, there's been a lot of talk about that, Joel. Uh, and obviously, as a bill like this might inch its way through the legislature, uh, there will be opportunities uh, for people to add things like that. You know we tried to keep this bill as simple as possible and it's 240 pages long wow Uh, so you know there's there's obviously uh, a willingness to compromise with different groups of uh, people that you know might say and quite frankly we can't think of everything either you know Uh, you know senator street and i put a lot of thought and effort into this uh, but quite frankly you know we're we're open to suggestions too
1: well, I would imagine that this this conversation is going to be uh you know still go, going on for months and months to come, but uh you you get a you get a scenario where uh let's say a de- a democrat wins the 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 governor's mansion, uh it's it's probably probably going to get a signature no problem I would think, huh?
0: Well, that's uh that's, that's the word on the street.
1: Yeah let's let's uh talk about some of uh, the other things that you've been working over uh, working on over the last uh, six months or so. I know that you had a visit to uh, some neighborhoods in Philadelphia. And of course, you're aware of all of the um, youth violence you know that's been running rampant basically in in Erie. It seems like it's quieted down maybe as it gets cooler. Um, but uh, what are some of the things that you learned? your Philadelphia trip,
0: well, you know, I, I have to tell you, it was eye-opening, Joel. Uh, and if your listeners uh, scroll back through my Senate uh, Facebook page, we had some pictures and video that we posted. Uh, it was very disturbing, uh, quite frankly. Uh, while we we're walking through the streets of Kensington, uh, there, uh, I saw a woman—you know, obviously an addict—sitting uh, under an umbrella in, in the, you know, on a sidewalk. And she, she only had one arm, and both her feet were amputated. And, and when I talked to the one police officer, you, they kind of know some of these regulars, if you will. Uh, that was from, you know, infections that she had gotten from shooting up. Wow. Uh, and it was one of the saddest things I've ever seen. Uh, and I was there with Senator Taglione. Uh, she had invited me uh, to tour it because it's in her district. And quite frankly, she's looking for help to try and solve the problem. Uh, and you know, she wanted a fresh set of eyes and fresh set of ideas. And you know, I'm kind of viewed in the Senate as a little bit of a problem solver. And uh, you know, I'm willing to look at issues and think outside the box. And uh, and I have some I have some thoughts on that. Uh, I'm going to work with Senator Leone and Senate leadership to try and get some, uh, some of these things implemented. Uh, and one of the things that I see potentially coming out of this. Uh, is you know we have these state hospitals that are potentially closing, uh, which is going to be bad for those small communities that th- these are located in, uh, and we have you know thousands, literally thousands of junkies just in Philadelphia, uh, and what what I would like to see happen is instead of instead of law enforcement focusing on you know the big kingpin dealer and spending two or three years investigating them and all that crap, uh, there's always going to be supply if there's demand. I think we should focus uh, from a bottom up standpoint instead of that top down mentality and, and just and actually start, you know, it's 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 against the law to shoot up heroin on the streets of, uh, of America. Uh, so we could pick these people up and, you know, I'm not saying you you know throw them in prison. What I'm saying is or what I'm suggesting here is if you pick them up and put them in medication assisted treatment for 30 days. That's, that's a long enough period of time to clear the cobwebs out of your head, and at the end of 30 days, uh, you could ask them, you know, would you like to stay and, and actually get better, or we're, you're free to go, we'll, we'll drop you back off on the street corner where we picked you up. Uh, and we could, we could put those folks uh, in one or two of these state hospitals that are slated to be closed, uh, offer, you know, quality rehab there, and, and hopefully save some of these people's lives.
1: Yeah, uh, there there needs to be not, you know, not this kind of uh, willingness to just go along with the current state of affairs. Uh, I, I mean, Philadelphia is just like any other major city in America where it's just getting to be very difficult to even navigate uh, the central core, you know. Yeah, you
0: know, and I'll give you uh, another example of something that I learned while I was there, Joel. Uh, one of the police officers that was escorting us, you know, he looked like a veteran. Uh, it turned out he was a, like a 20 year veteran of the Philadelphia force. And I asked him, I said, you know, what do you, what do you see as the, the the solution here? And he said, you know, at least part of it uh, is the revolving door of the criminal justice system. Uh, and he gave me an example of, of a person that he arrested the previous year, uh, was in the midst of, uh, robbing a convenience store at gunpoint. Okay. He saw it going on, came, you know, like tackled the guy, the guy had a ghost gun on him. That everybody likes to talk about. He had 65 packets of heroin on his person and he had another 350 hits of heroin in his stolen car. Jeez. Okay. Wow. And you know what he got? You know what he got, Joel? He got probation. Oh my word. So, you know, the revolving door of letting these people like that just just go free is setting the tone in places like Philadelphia. And, you know, I know it's kind of almost sounds like a campaign speech, uh, but we need to get back to actually enforcing the law. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, somebody needs to be in prison for 40 years, but good Lord, uh, you know, where's the threat? Where's the, where's the threat, right?
1: Well, I, I always well, thought I'll, if you do worry, a, we'll you if, if you do an attempted robbery with a firearm, that gets you into a level of felony that was an automatic, uh, I mean, yeah, if, if convicted. To, remember, you know. it used
0: to be five years minimum. Joint. Right. Yes. That, yeah, well, apparently I, they just don't I, pay any attention to that anymore. I,
1: I've been on juries that if there was a if they found the gun, that that meant instant uh Instant state penitentiary time versus, uh, you know, 11 months in county or something like that. Good Lord. Okay, Uh, I've got I've just got a couple minutes left with uh, Senator Dan Laughlin. Uh, Legislative priorities here. We're already deep into uh, the new year, the 2023 season here. Uh, You have to go. Well, I don't know if you have to go back or you just just came back from Harrisburg, but. What are you looking at? What are some of the things beyond the uh, the recreational marijuana? What are some other legislative priorities for you?
0: Well, you know, I've got about 50 bills that I've introduced in the last two years. Joel, uh, I'm not going to sit here and try and name them all off for you. Uh, you know, obviously, we'll take a look at the, the ones that we didn't get done, and reevaluate whether, uh, you know, we want to put some effort into them again or not. Um, one of the bills that I have that's very close to becoming law, is has is to do with the breach of in, information. Uh, that, you know, it, it was spawned when uh, the, the one contractor that uh, Governor Wolf had hired to do the contact, contact tracing during COVID uh, had a breach and they didn't notify anybody. That was kind of the genesis of the bill. Uh, you know, we're, we're very, very close to potentially getting that done. Uh, but as you might expect, uh, you know, the administration doesn't love the bill because, you know, it's transparency that they'd rather not have to do. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's been quite a bit of pushback on that. Um, you know, on, on a lighter, on a more lighthearted note, uh, I've got a bill that's going to eliminate those uh, pink envelopes for applying for your antlerless deer license. Okay, <laughs> I, I think we're going to be able to get that done before the end of the Did
1: year. Did you ban the boot, or
0: how's that moving? That's not moving, but I, I still <laughs> honestly, I, I, you know, these bills like that certainly aren't major, uh, major. You bills, realize there is frankly,
1: a there's a vehicle directly in front of my studio on State Street right now with a boot yeah. on.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, what's funny, Joel, you you should go out and put a business card on there and interview that person. <laughs> I should.
1: I'm serious yes. because, you know,
0: people, people that are in that situation are quite often, uh, you know, not financially able to make it with their day-to-day life. And then, and then when they get their vehicle booted, uh, there many times they, they just may lose their job then because they can't show up for work. Uh, you know, it's just that it, you get caught in a downward spiral sometimes. And, it, and it, is it really worth it? Do you know what yeah, I'm saying? Is right. it really worth it
1: to do that to people? It's crazy. So, well, last yeah. last thirty seconds. Uh, you know, a lot a lot of Senate leadership ran for uh, for this governor's race in the, in the primary and so on. How do you feel like your relationship is with Senate leadership? Uh, because if you're known as a problem solver, does that make you accessible? Or are you offensive to Senate leadership as it is these days?
0: No, I have, I have a great working relationship with Senate leadership right now. Uh, you know, obviously I butted heads with Senator Corman there for a little while. Yeah. Uh, but you know, he's, he's moving on. Uh, uh, Kim Ward is our majority leader right now. And I, you know, I'm not, uh, I don't think I'm letting anything out of the bag here. Uh, she's going to run for president pro tem, uh, and, you know, she's she's a big fan of Dan Laughlin. Uh,
1: Good. And, you
0: know, I don't want to I don't want to jinx myself here, but it's looking pretty strongly that I'll be in leadership at the end of this year. Um, and I'm um, really looking forward to the opportunities that that that, that brings in representing my district in, in the state.
1: That's really remarkable. I think that's breaking news, honestly, because. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, we just we don't always get a look up here, do we?
0: Well, it's, it's, it's probably gonna make the news uh, when it's official, Joe, because I actually looked back and the uh, last time the Senator from Erie uh, was in Senate leadership, uh, it was actually the President of Pro Tem, uh, but it was 1907. So uh, I think it's time.
1: On that note, we say adieu to uh, Senator Dan Laughlin, uh, uh, representing the 49th District, including Erie County. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it.
0: Yep. Thanks for having me on, Joel. I always appreciate it.
1: You've been listening to The Joel Natale Show, Erie,
0: Pennsylvania's daily podcast from TalkErie.com. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcatcher and get involved by emailing joel at TalkErie.com.